I have spent so much money today. You know when you spend so much money that you're mad? But you can't do anything about it because it's all stuff that you needed to do. Like I went to the eye doctor. I got a new prescription. Got new contacts. Ordered the new contacts. Then I went to Costco. Renewed my membership. Purchased the glasses there because they were cheaper. But they were still too expensive in my opinion. Just, I spent so much money today and I just had to keep laying down money and laying down money and laying down money. And I'm, I am blessed at the moment to have a job that covers all these things. But damn, you know, when I look back at how much money I've spent today, it scares the fuck out of me. But it's all necessary shit. Like I did not buy anything frivolous. I did not spend money on anything that was just, you know, silly for entertainment. Like, it's all staples. I bought staples. Prescription glasses, those kinds of adulting things that you got to do. But, man, I'm, I'm angry at the amount of money that I had to spend today. And uh, that's all. And it made me think about capitalism and why we make things so expensive when they don't need to be and how we're keeping people from accessing these necessary things that people need to have. It's messed up, y'all. you just know something is not for you and that's what I knew about the Aquaman movie (laughs) I saw the previews I saw all the press and I knew that it was not for me now what was interesting to me was it was really being hyped super hard as diversity and inclusion because Aquaman is a person of color and it's an Asian director But the storytelling and the semiotics of race at play in the film are problematic at best. Uh, The Atlanteans are all white. Nicole Kidman is his mother. His father is Polynesian. His quote-unquote bad traits are attributed to his Polynesian father. His godlike powers are attributed to the all-white Atlanteans. Nicole Kidman... Patrick Wilson, etc., etc. The literal villain is called Black and is a Black male. The villain is Black. Uh, Aquaman kills the Black villain's father, but then at the end of the movie learns empathy on the back of a Black body that he's killed, so he doesn't kill the white character at the end because of the black body that was sacrificed at the beginning. Just just the racial dynamics are trash. They're just trash. And I knew that when I saw the previews. When I saw the previews and I saw the previews of the press conferences and I saw this all-white cast and Black Manta as a black African-American. I think the actor might be foreign. But at any rate, a black male and then 
Aquaman being biracial. I thought, mm, I can see where this is going. Don't like it. Don't need to see that. And it was exactly what I thought from the previews. I spotted that a mile away. My spidey sense for racism goes tingles. It tingles, and I know that it's correct. And I was correct. So, sometimes you just know things aren't for you. Oh, and by the way, I still have not seen Aquaman. This was all from Twitter. This was all from reviews. I watched five reviews of the movie. And then went on Twitter and did some research. And I was like, yep, these are the plot points. I went on IMDb. I went on to Wikipedia. I went on to several different websites. Several legitimate reviews. Watched some YouTube reviews. They all said the exact same thing. Of the, of the plot points. I was like, yep. That's what I literally surmised from the trailer and from the press conference that I saw about it. Um, my race spidey sense is always right. So I was sitting at a coffee shop in the quote-unquote liberal white part of town it's a coffee shop I go to with some regularity and I was um, funny enough on my tablet grading essays because I'm an adjunct professor at a university and across the little I was in the back of the coffee house I was going to say cafe. I was in the back of the coffee house in like a little writing corner. And these two, I'm assuming by their dress and by their conversation, the topic they were talking about, two upper class, probably lower rich class, white moms, suburban moms were talking about um, school choice and their kids. And they were talking about JCPS versus um, Catholic school. And uh, they were speaking at a very loud volume. They were speaking so loudly that I could hear their entire conversation. Now, they weren't close enough to where I could reach my arm up and touch them. But they were probably an arm length and a half away. So they were close enough, right? So, my rule of thumb is always that if you're going to talk loud enough for me to hear like that, then you have invited me into your conversation, right? If you don't have the social graces to have a conversation between the two of you at a at a reasonable volume to where I can't hear it, because I, oh, also I had my headphones in. Let me add that fact. That's an important fact to note. I had my headphones in with music on. And I could still hear every word of this conversation. So that's why I felt like I could chime in because you've invited me into your conversation by being um, so rude in the first place to be that loud. So to make a long story a little bit shorter, they started to talk about school choice. And this mother, these women looked like they were maybe late 30s, early 40s. Maybe like 42, 40. They could be anywhere from like 38 to like 45, right? Um, Rather young and um, like all the trappings of liberalism. Uh, One of the women had a Hillary pin on, which also was so funny. 
Um, and they would, you know, they had been talking about other stuff, but I hadn't really been paying attention. Just normal white liberal stuff. <clears throat> but this is when the conversation got really loud. And the one mother was complaining that her daughter didn't get into uh, a magnet high school, which is one of the most elite high schools in the country. And it just so happens to be a high school that I went to. Um, that is very difficult to get into. You have to apply to it like you're going to college. You have to submit transcripts and essays. You, need, you have to have recommendation letters. You have to have a whole dossier to get into this high school. Um, it was one of George Bush's thousand points of light. Um, it is a top tier model high school in the country um, that is here in Louisville, Kentucky. Public school. Um, and her daughter, one daughter got in, the other daughter didn't. And she was basically blaming it on diversity. And she kept like looking over at me, exchange, like trying, like looking at me and was coding. I could tell, obviously she was coding the word black for diversity because she kept looking at me. I was giving no signs of listening. I was grading and had music in, but she kept looking over at me. So she kept saying, well, I'm all for diversity. But why should my other daughter not get into this school because another student has taken her place? And do you know this school system is the only system like this in the country? So the other fact that's good to know or important with this conversation is that, yes, the public school system that I grew up in uh, has been nationally recognized for their algorithm and how they... Uh, comply with the uh, Civil Rights Act, with the with the Integration Act, um, with school integration. Um, they they're so heralded. I mean, um, John Oliver profiled my public school system because of the way that they seriously handle diversity. It, it's unique. It's the only place in the country that does it like this. So she's basically complaining that a black student took her other daughter's spot and that her children can't go to school together because of diversity, right? And she's just going on and on and on and railing against the algorithm and how it's done, how it's not fair and blah, 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 and an unfair advantage because of skin color. And I just had to, I, you know, every black person has those moments and this is a racial microaggression, right? You've got to decide, do I just keep it moving? Do I just sit here and keep grading? Or do I speak up? I'm an artist, I'm an activist, and an academic. I have to speak up. And I went to this school. I'm a product of this public school system. I have a terminal graduate degree. I went to state all state schools for undergrad and grad school. My mother is a public school teacher. I'm going to speak up, right? So what I essentially say to her is, what's funny to me is how thinly veiled liberal racism always is because you are so fake you are working so hard to make race the problem here in disadvantaging you you're working so hard on victimizing your white daughter when the truth is there are four white students to every black student at this public magnet high school there were when I went there and I think currently right now the black population is like 18% of this white, of this magnet high school, which is basically, and the population of this high school 
it's around like twelve hundred or two or or, or two thousand. It's somewhere around that, somewhere around that. Um, it 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 hovers around like twelve hundred, two thousand kids, students, and it's about eighteen percent black. So that shows you how many white students are there. So what I said was, you're failing so hard in basic math right now that you don't understand that there are about four white students to every black student at that school. So just statistically, it's more likely, the math is probable, not only likely, but probable, that your white, your other white daughter's quote-unquote spot was taken by another white student, which means your other daughter just wasn't good enough to get in. You don't get to scapegoat race this time, honey. Your other daughter just wasn't as good by the stupid metrics that you people came up with. She turned blood red, as white liberals always do when you point out their racism to them, and they got up and moved. I don't know if they left or whatever, but they got up and moved from that side of the cafe. And, yeah, I can, like, clap myself on the back for that clap back and feel good about it but I didn't feel good about it but what was funny about this and what made me laugh later on was this was literally almost a week to the day that the Lori Laughlin um grade uh changing college admission scandal broke the Felicity Huffman Lori Laughlin cheating scandal broke and I said there you go Black students out here living their black excellence lives. And when we get in somewhere, we're accused of cheating when the white people are really doing the cheating. (laughs) When the white people are the ones rigging the whole game. And when they don't have enough money to pay for the game to be rigged, then they want to turn around and vilify and scapegoat the actual victims of the system who are black students. So you can't win for losing. You just can't win for losing in this race game. Um, Then there's that young black woman who scored so high in the SAT because she studied, did the practice test and took it again that they're saying, oh, her score couldn't be real because I think she... My facts are a little bit off here. Google it yourself. Discernment. Thank you, Michelle Moore. Discernment. Your Google ain't broke. Uh, she scored, she took the SAT and then she like boosted her score like 200 points the next time she took it. So now white people are big man and they're saying, well, clearly she cheated because she couldn't have studied to show herself approved and improved her own grades, right? She had to cheat. It's just a mess. Oh, black in America. What can I tell you? dressing room at the theater getting ready for the show it's 15 to places I have put on the majority of my makeup and I've gotten my line notes so I'm focusing on those and as I'm putting on my makeup I have to put on black on my top lip what came to me was what a different mind space I have to be in, I play music in my dressing room to get me into a 
contemplative mind space because I start the show um, in jail I start this children's theater for young audiences show musical in a jail cell in shackles on stage so that's a different mindset you have to get yourself into and every show the audience votes whether or not I'm guilty or not guilty at the end but I gotta get myself into the mindset of somebody who's been um, unjustly jailed right uh, and it's a theater for your audience to show but as a black male of course Sandra Bland um, Khalif Browder uh, and many other I'm putting my makeup on my top lip <laughs> all these the names are ridiculous Melissa Williams I mean Trayvon Martin Eric Brown Eric Garner um, Michael, Mike Brown uh, the names just keep coming into my head as I'm standing in that jail cell and I get carted out on stage and I'm in shackles so I gotta start this uh, this show for children in a much different mind space, headspace than your usual TYA musical um, and I like that and so far the children have voted me not guilty at the end of each show, we'll see we'll see I feel like being black in America is constantly a negotiation. From moment to moment, there are so many racial micro and macroaggressions that it is an ongoing choice of which hit you're going to take and which hit you're going to retaliate against. You know, do you retaliate against um, the traffic cop who's pulling you over for no reason do you I guess you, you take that one because he could shoot you or she could shoot you or do you retaliate against the um unfair director who's um staging you into something that's racist or the unfair uh, administrator who's um denying you the access to this class because they're racist or the unfair insert whatever name insert whatever capacity in society there is someone over you as a black person who is white, who has the power to obstruct, deny, um, otherize, vilify, victimize, and keep you down. We have to constantly negotiate, okay, do I pick this fight or do I move to the next thing? And it's like you're constantly in the Matrix. You know, the crew, Neo and his crew in the Matrix, they get to sleep. They get to unplug and come out of the Matrix every once in a while, live in the real world. And yes, they're on the run from from Sentinels, but there are times when they get to rest. There is no rest for blackness. You cannot unplug from the Matrix. You're always in the Matrix. There is no jumping out of it. So um, it's mad stressful. And that's why self-care is important. Take care.
So I find this moment uh, about Jesse Smollett really interesting. I was watching uh, the talk earlier today in between emails and video conferencing and these two topics came up which I thought were perfectly uh, embodying the performance of race in America today. So the ladies in the talk brought up Jesse Smollett and they were pretty much in agreement collectively that he should not be able to work again, or at least they found it problematic that he be able to go back to work and they were saying that he hasn't been vindicated and that the charges were just dropped and that it really um, spoke towards a problem, these 16 felony counts and that they shouldn't have been dropped and he isn't vindicated and they had a real problem with him being back on a set saying how could you trust him um, how can you move forward etc then Matt Lauer comes up uh, because apparently Kathy Lee Gifford said something that Matt Lauer is still her friend and she texts with him back and forth etc and the topic came up of do you break off friendships when someone is accused of something and Pretty unanimously, the ladies were saying, especially Eve said, and I quote, I'm a ride or die girl. If you're my friend, you're my friend. And um, some of the other people on the panel were kind of going back and forth and saying, well, it depends on what the crime is and what you're accused of and whether or not I know you're a liar or not, et cetera, et cetera. What's interesting, though, in addition to the racial dynamics here, that so they basically said we would forgive Matt Lauer and would stay friends with him. They didn't expressly say him, but they said if our friend, if I had a friend who was in a situation like that, I would stay friends with them. I'm ride or die. Basically, it's a positive outcome with this Matt Lauer story, saying they would stay friends with him. But Jesse Smollett shouldn't be able to go back to work, should not be able to work, and is basically still public enemy number, number one. And what's interesting about that is Smollett has maintained his innocence the entire time. Matt Lauer has apologized because he, he's admitted to doing it. He's been found out. He admitted to doing it. He apologized. And we're talking about some heinous acts. Remember, Matt Lauer had a button under his desk that would lock the door to his office so he could imprison women and sexually harass them. Okay, we're talking diabolical Bond villain type level tease, okay? Bond villain realness with his sexual assault and harassment and many other charges, but he's literally imprisoning women in his office. That's what we're talking about with Matt Lauer. Jesse Smollett, depending on how you look at it, I believe him, so I believe that he's innocent. But even if you don't believe that he's innocent, it's a victimless crime, right? Who has been affected by his quote-unquote crime, nobody. So the 16 felony charges were ludicrous to begin with, right? But as I say, my stance is that I believe him. I believe that he was attacked. I don't think it's a hoax. Um, but I'm just saying, you're telling me, these women at this table are telling me that for a white, straight man, they will literally forgive him imprisoning women in a room and still be his friend, but a black gay male who may have allegedly committed the crime, they're saying, nope, no dice. And not only no dice, but you shouldn't be able to go to work. 
the performance of Race in America in 2019. As you move throughout the week, just be cognizant of the performance of race. Remember that the worst thing you can say to a person of color as a white ally or as a person of color to another person of color is that you don't see race. When you say you don't see race, you're saying you don't see me. And you're saying you don't see the things that detrimentally affect me. Right? If you don't see race, then you can't see racism. It's like if I say I don't see gender, then I can't see misogyny. If I say I don't see disease, then I can't see cancer, which means you can't fight it. Right? An oncologist has to be able to find cancer to fight it. So if you don't see race, then you don't see racism. And so you're just whitewashing, you're gaslighting, you're the enemy. So see race, deal with it, because it's dealing with all of us. The Great Flood has spoken.